is Healy Jones from Cruise Consulting, and welcome to the Founders and Friends podcast. Today, my um, special guest is Jake Cronin, a CEO and co-founder of Ciro, which is an AI-driven sales enablement tool. He's just raised a massive, awesome Series A. Uh, we're going to dig into that. We're going to learn a little bit about how startups should be doing sales. Uh, but first, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Healy Jones, VP of Financial Strategy here at Cruise Consulting. And I want to say thanks to our podcast sponsor, ARC. At Cruise, we've got a number of clients successfully using ARC to manage their deposits, payments, access financing, all in one place. One of the things that ARC provides that's really great is over a quarter of a million dollars in FDSC coverage. Their insurance program goes beyond the standard limit and it secures up to five and a quarter million dollars. So startups that have even more cash than that can go and access treasury solutions that provide yield and safety. If you're a startup looking for a secure financial solution that can help you scale, please check out our sponsor, ARC, at ARC.tech. Great. Well, Jake, thanks for your time. It, it's wonderful to be here. How, how, how are you doing? I am doing very well. Healy, thank you for the intro. This, uh, you know, you're, you're a cruise client. Uh, you're doing really well. This is, this is exciting. We love it when our clients are successful. This is a really hard time to fundraise. You've got a company that's growing great. Uh, but let, let's even like, before we dive into that stuff, let, let's pull back a little bit and just learn a little bit about like what, what led to you founding Ciro? Like what, how'd you come up with this idea? It, it's obviously working out great. Yeah. Uh, so how about this? We'll rewind all the way back to high school when, uh, as my co-founder says it, uh, we were selling kitchen knives to moms. Okay. Uh, so I, I like the founding origin story because it's sort of, a. Uh, we're in good companies. David Heath of Bombas, Travis Kalanick of Uber also got their start selling Cutco knives. Same first job that I had, same first job that my co-founder Joe had. Um, and what was really cool about selling Cutco knives, you know, as an 18 year old before I went to college was I was actually making more money per month selling kitchen knives than I would later as a business analyst at McKinsey. Wow. Which is kind of mind blowing, you know, even more so in hindsight. Um, uh, so that's how I got into field sales to begin and you know, learn a ton about yourself, um, a ton of very useful skills. But I'm more of a math guy, more of an engineer. So when I was in college and learning how to code, my first thought of what I could build with this newfound power was let me build an app to help digitize some of the pencil and paper workflows of running a Cutco office. So I was building that thing and tinkering as this fun project. Later, went to McKinsey as a business analyst where your day-to-day tools are Excel, PowerPoint, email, no coding. Uh, so continued to code this kind of pet project on the side. Uh, and that's how I met my co-founder. One day, I was checking out my app on the App Store, and I saw right next to it was a very similar-looking app. Oh. Uh, so I reached out to the guy, uh, a bit confused, like this world is too small for two apps to serve this one company. Uh, <laughs> and we got along really well. Uh, over a couple of calls, we had similar values, frankly, similar backgrounds, and uh, decided to team up, merge companies, and uh, turn that into a little business. And what I was, was going through my mind at the time is, you know, I joined McKinsey, this consulting firm that lets you... You know, work in many different industries, serve clients, uh, you know, all over the all over the world, and I realized there was no industry more overlooked or underserved than the world of field sales. So, Joe and I got together and thought, you know what, this side business we put together is, is doing quite well and really validates our hypothesis that this world of field sales that a lot of the you know coastal elites or you know, the tech world is unaware of. Um, it's actually a huge space, and there's so much more value that software can create. 
So we decided to go all in. I left my job. He threw away his job offer, to, to, you know, the post-college job offer. And we decided to set out and solve the biggest problem in field sales, which we didn't know what it was at the time. So we spent a lot of exploring. Amazing. Uh, and that led us to the journey to discover uh, the biggest problem in field sales, which is uh, most sales reps suck because they aren't coached. And then you know, income zero. Amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, so actually, uh, I worked for a company called Sunrun, which was a residential solar installer. And I think when I joined, there was like 12 salespeople. And when I left, there were 300 plus another 300 outside sales reps who were embedded in like Home Depots and uh, like Costco's and things like that. And we would always have these huge training initiatives where we had to bring everybody together. So it's basically like which which time of the month is all are all sort of sales going to stop while everybody comes together for these big training sessions. And uh, I mean, they were a lot of fun, but uh, it's hard. It's hard to train people in the, in the field and you don't always know exactly what's going on. That's a, that, that's a really, really cool problem. But so you were at McKinsey for a while, which, um, you know, clearly one of the top consulting firms and I actually talked to uh, one of these like data-driven VC guys. And he's like, yeah, you know, if someone's been at Google or McKinsey, they're usually like, you know, higher likelihood of success or whatever. So, you know, there, there must be something going on right there other than just hiring brilliant people. Like what, uh, you know, wh what did you learn while you were at McKinsey that actually is, is helping you as a startup founder here? Yeah, they do uh, a, an absolutely amazing job building up this generalist toolkit is what they call them. So a lot of the things that uh, I think I bring to the table as a uh, founder are just like being kind of fast to write an email, like being able to take good notes in a meeting, structure things uh, and think strategically, um, build the PowerPoint and also the Excel, this very broad base of skills. Um, which is really useful when you're a founder and you wear every single hat in the closet. So um, that's that's what McKinsey brought to the table. And one more piece that I'll bring in too is uh, the confidence. Um, when you join McKinsey, you're you know might be 22 years old and you're thrown into you know maybe it's a board meeting with the CEO of Fortune 500 company present. Uh, so you are put at the big boy table, uh, big girl table right away. Um, and that confidence that's you know. Uh, you need to fill the shoes or you are able to fill the shoes if you believe it. Uh, it's actually very similar to sales where it's, uh, you know, there's, there's no, like, don't imagine, like pretend there's no ceiling above you, like just, just run and, and, and believe in yourself and betting yourself. Um, McKinsey does a great job kind of uh, doing that for you professionally in a similar way that a company like Cutco or any, any sort of sales organization might do that for you in, in a slightly different way where it's, uh, you know, pushes you to stretch, uh, stretch what you believe is possible. Mm -hmm. So McKinsey was, was really, really useful for me. So of course the role is probably pretty different. Like where's like the, the challenging stuff that you see is a different or like, you know, how is being a McKinsey analyst very different from being a startup founder? I imagine that there's some, some pretty massive, uh, massive differences there. You have to think about every day. Yeah. It's well, first of all, it is, uh, it, it's both way harder, but also way more fun. Um, and this isn't a McKinsey thing. I think it's just client services is so hard because you need to do the stuff that's not actually, you know, value add or doesn't seem important. Um, if you're doing client services, someone asks you to do something, the client asks you to put together this deck or like email this thing to these folks or change the strategy this way, you sort of have to do it. Um, some of that tedious work. But as a, as a founder, you get to do only what's important. 
like you have full control over what do you think is important to do and is not. Um, and that is absolutely like, that's awesome. That's why I love my job so much. Um, but it's just way harder to know that if you fail, you're screwed. Like McKinsey, there's, it is so hard to actually fail. Um, yes, you're very independent, but there are so many smart people around you. There's so many systems, the culture, almost invisible infrastructure around you that prevents you from failing, even though it doesn't feel super safe, you're uncomfortable and stretched. It's not many people are, are burning and failing. Uh, startups, many of them die all the time. It's true, yeah. And you are very aware of it while you're building a startup that any day this thing could die. Uh, that is very different. Well, that that's, keeps you awake a little bit there, right? And uh, it, and you know, at the moment, you know, you're clearly doing great. Like you you announced some phenomenal revenue growth numbers in your press release for the fundraise. You just raised a great Series A in a really hard environment to raise a Series A. So. You know, what, what kind of advice do you have for founders who are trying to raise particularly Series A right now? Like, you did it successfully. Like, what, what should they be thinking about? Everyone's different. Companies are different. So, like, you know, as, as anyone giving you a startup advice should say, take it with a grain of salt and, and put your, your own context in mind. Um, what was useful for us is we weren't thinking about funding, uh, fundraising very much at all. Uh, throughout the life of this business. We were very focused on, can we actually solve a problem? Like we didn't see a lot of software find success in the space that we're in now. We can't say, hey, you know, Salesforce did it. We can build the CRM in this space. There weren't a ton of obvious parallels. Um, so we were really concerned with, hey, can we actually make a business that's like a real business here? Um, and funding, yeah, if these work out, we'll get funding. That's not the hard thing. So solving for creating a real business and then the investment comes. It was really our, our philosophy. And that's why we had a pretty slow and hard first you know, two years of the business. But now things are going great because uh, in a market where VC, you know, it's really hard to fundraise uh, because investors are looking for a real business. Hey, that's what that's what we were building this whole time. Well, I mean, yeah, you, you, you had a three-year overnight success, right? It, uh, you've been working pretty hard at it for a while, but, uh, but it's exactly. coming together. Well put. Like what was there, – was there anything – like when you actually started to do the fundraising process, was there anything that you kind of learned during that process that was unexpected? One thing is your, which I should have known, uh, your pitch is never good enough. Um, your pitch can always get better. Uh, put it in like, you know, video game terms, maybe. The skill ceiling is so high. Um, you can keep practicing your pitch. You can keep getting better at it. And it will keep making a difference. I've been practicing this pitch for like over three years. Um, pitch competitions, like several rounds of like difficult trying to fundraise and turning into like a little pre-seed um, until we figured out how to properly describe what we're doing. And we could still get better at it. The thing is, it is important to keep getting better at the pitch, not just because it's for fundraising, but the pitch for, for investors isn't too dissimilar from what you'd be telling potential employees to sell them on the vision to hire them, what you should be talking to customers about to help sell them your product because customers, when you, you know, they feel like they're a part of the vision, way more excited to be you know, affiliated with your company. Um, and you should also be using that pitch for internally at the company to drive culture and keep everyone aligned. So uh, the pitch and how to position what you're doing in, in the minds of whoever you're talking to uh, is, uh, can always get better. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Um, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about pitch decks. I help a lot of our clients think through their pitch decks. Um, do, you have a, do you have a particular slide that you found really resonated really well when you were pitching it? Or a different question, like what's your favorite slide that you, that you made in your pitch? 
my favorite slides are the ones where it's just one sentence in the middle because they're easy to make. Um, <laughs> I, I, came, I come from consulting, <laughs> but I never liked making slides. And I don't think I was ever very good at it either. Um, so the simpler, the better. That's awesome. All right. Well, let, let's kind of like switch up here a little bit. So um, you're producing a tool that's using AI to, to power sales. Um, you've probably got some pretty strong opinions on how AI is going to impact selling, how AI is going to impact startups. Like, where do you see AI going uh, in, in terms of like developing tools that help startup founders? One thing I'll say first is how does it impact sales? Because startup founders are salespeople. So I'll first talk about it from that lens. Um, as AI comes in and makes more and more things easy, make it really easy to send people a bunch of it, really easy to send like a personalized sales video. Um, the most human things that remain, in my mind, are the ability to get someone's attention and the ability to build trust. Like those are two things that people are uniquely good at. Uh, and I think that's something that people are going to continue leaning into. Um, your role is to build trust, get someone's attention, build trust. Uh, and then everything else is going to get increasingly automated. Uh, that's piece number one. Piece number two, yeah, how does this impact you know, startups more broadly? If I pontificate on this for a second, um, AI is going to make a lot of people, uh, question if they're building a feature or a product. Uh, I think that's like particularly difficult now when there are tons of very, what seem to be very, uh, very real businesses where you're just kind of doing a layer on top of LLMs, but you're specializing it for a certain vertical and adding in some workflow stuff. Um, maybe that's a, that's a great business to be had, or maybe that further turns into just a feature of a uh, more foundational product. I think that's going to be something that a lot of people are wrestling with, both in front of investors, um, but also internally as they're, you know, still working a full-time job and thinking about what startup they might be in, or they just made the leap and they're doing a startup and pivoting and every exciting idea that comes up, they're questioning, is this just a feature of what should be some other product? Uh, that I think is right. going to be tough for, for a lot of folks. Yeah, I think that'll be pretty hard. Kind of, so going back to the first topic there, I agree. It's, it's really hard to automate trust. Like trust is a, is a people thing and it, Particularly if you're selling very expensive enterprise thing, it's it's really beneficial to sit in the room with the other people and, and learn about them and talk with them and you know maybe maybe eat some dinner or you know have a drink or something and, and kind of really get to know them. It, it's it's very hard to automate trust. Um, so I, I I we're still gonna have field sales. Like it's not going it's not going anywhere. Right? Here to stay. <laughs> I feel like that's a pretty pretty foundational market. Yeah, and in terms of founders who may not have a sales background, who may you know come out of a product role or engineering role, and now this is their first startup and they actually have to sell, what, what type of advice do you have for those founders as they're starting to actually approach the market and try to get people to give them money for their product? Like, If you are a startup founder, you are now officially a salesperson. If you are a technical founder, you're still also a salesperson. Um, so I think identifying as a salesperson, not thinking of it as like, I'm not the salesperson, but I'm doing my best. Uh, you can't do that. You have to realize you are a salesperson and you need to be as deliberate with your, you know, improving that skill as you are the skills that you currently identify with. If you're an engineer, the same energy that you're putting into learning that new library, like how about you read, you know, you can't teach a kid to ride a bike. Uh, at a seminar, it's one of my favorite sales books. Um, read the books. Know that this is a skill that you must develop to be successful. You know, must with asterisk, asterisks, but you know, 
99% of founders must develop this skill. Um, and it's like super high leverage of all the things that you could be spending your time on. Um, getting better at sales is super, super high leverage. Your product is probably not going to be excellent right at the gate. So being able to at least sell someone onto a pilot or the idea of trying out your product versus having to try and make some perfect product out the gate and then, and then get folks. So um, yeah, identifying as a salesperson is something that well, very few people in tech, for example, identify as, as salespeople. Um, and I think that's a mind shift change that as a founder, you should make very early on. That's awesome. So you, you mentioned a sales book you liked. Uh, there's a couple that I really like, like Challenger Sale and Question-Based Selling, I think are phenomenal sales books. And I've had a lot of executives here at Cruise read those books. But what was what was the book that you recommended? It's, uh, you can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar. It goes over the Sandler selling method, um, which... Uh, which I like a lot. Awesome. I'll have to check that one out. Any, any other, uh, any other good sales books? I mean, obviously you've learned how to sell, right? You can't, I, a lot of it is, is probably self-motivated. Hopefully if that's a good sales training, cause that's, that's the business you're building here. And I'm going to ask a lot of questions about sales training in a second, but like any other, uh, any other good sales books you like? I'd recommend just reading one and reading it like 10 times. Uh, okay. Keeping the podcast in and just like keep playing through it. Cause it's going to, at least that's how I digest the books that I'm really trying to learn from. The ones that I treat like a like a textbook, um, I like to listen to it over and over again and let that one method sink in because again, super high skill ceiling. Um, you can every listen, you'll probably pull out new things and you'll have new chances to implement them. Um, you, if you're actively reading this while you're doing selling activities, trying to find pilot customers, etc., um, one day a different chapter of the book will become useful and you should reread that chapter at the end of the day and refresh yourself. Hey, did I implement this? The way that I should have, probably not, and then reflect on that. Yeah, I, I actually agree with that as well. Like the, the Challenger Sale is one of the few business books that I've read multiple times. Like in in general, I kind of read them once, and I'm like, okay, I think I got it. But uh, that that's one that I, I refer back to multiple times. It was that it was that kind of influential in my uh, my thinking process. What uh, what other ways do you think founders can help themselves get better? Right, you've mentioned a few things like. Um, realizing that you're in sales, you know, you, met, you, you mentioned a, a book that you like, like what, what other stuff can a founder do to become a better salesperson? Yeah. You, uh, mind shift change, like identifying as a, as a salesperson right out the gate. That's the most important. Another one that's useful is it's sort of like what, what, how we think about our product and the value it adds. Um, record yourself and get feedback. Uh, even if it's just yourself. Um, there's tons of tools out there that you can do this like basically for free. Like, you know, Otter AI is like a great one that you can plug in and it's like a super nice consumer feel to it. Um, Zero isn't yet a great tool for, for inside sales or video sales. Um, but have a tool, record your meetings, um, even your pitches. I've recorded almost all of my VC pitches and then listen to it yourself and get feedback. What I think is like the, like the gold standard for how to get better at sales is uh, you prep for a sales meeting. You have the call, it's recorded. Right afterwards, listen through it and try and find two or three key moments that could have done better. Uh, get feedback from someone, which maybe it's your co-founder. Um, ideally, like it's someone who is very good at sales. Maybe it's a sales coach and they can role model for you what excellence sounds like and then role play it back. So you did it yourself. You hear what you did. Then you hear an example of what excellence sounds like or feedback. And then try it again, you know, role play it. Um, I say it out loud too. It's like, you know, not just think it through your head, but say it out loud. So what I was doing when I was, you know, like iterating my pitch, I would have you know, just did this pitch with some VC, 
got this question that I wasn't prepared for, didn't answer it well, uh, no follow-up email after. Um, and then I would, I would listen to the pitch, tag my co-founder in Ciro, or if you're using Otter or something, you can, you can comment on that point of the conversation, get their feedback. Uh, Joe would weigh in with his feedback, and then I'd audio message back to him a role play. So uh, that's that I think is the gold standard for improving sales, uh, but it, it takes work. Um, so this comes back again to like sales is your job. That is the main hat uh, for a lot of founders. You know, one of the most important hats. So uh, knowing that, like identifying as a salesperson, so that you're willing to put in the time to prepare for the sales meetings, put in the time to review your sales calls, put in the time to reflect on them and try and get better. Uh, that's what's required. It's mostly time. Uh, so yeah, identifying as a salesperson because that's what you are now as a, as a founder. That's awesome. That's amazing. So there reaches a point where a founder has to start to hire sales folks. Like when do you think the right time is for a founder to begin to hire new salespeople beyond them? Yeah, my perspective is when your product is no longer crappy, um, because I think only the founder can sell the, the crap product. Um, and once you get signals that it's like, oh, like, this is actually getting kind of easy, um, or hey, the close rate is really high, like suddenly, um, then you can bring someone in to start doing it for you. Uh, even like the sales gurus, uh, they won't sell your product the way that you can. Um, and also, you don't want to be that removed from from the sales cycle. Like you want to know the kind of feedback or what, why something's not selling. So, like as soon as sales starts getting easier, which I'm intentionally leaving vague because it's not a great answer. At least I don't have a great answer of of where your kind of the product market fit, the early product market fit fit is. Um, once it starts getting easier, then you can start hiring folks, and that's where you know, then you can bring in sales experts. Um, tons of people have built go to market teams, sales teams. There's tons of or. Many folks who are excellent at building sales organizations, and you don't have to do it from scratch yourself. You know, once this product can sell, it's not crappy. Then you can bring in some folks who can help you build the organization. Managing a sales team is different than managing an engineering team, right? It's just a very it's a different animal entirely. Um, and I, I have found that I've had to randomly coach founders on how they need to think about managing their sales team particularly for developers who just sort of expect a certain type of mentality that is not the same as sales and both are perfectly good mentalities, although, you know, the two, the two don't really cross, right. Um, for the like non, um, sales founders, do you want to talk a little bit about sort of best practices in managing and growing a sales team, having been a successful salesperson and now running a company that's grown like crazy? Frankly, I think we're a little too early for me to, to give an answer that I think uh, that I want other people to hear, because you know I mean, it could be totally wrong. We're still, we're still well, I don't know. First of all, I disagree. Given given your you know where, where you're counting from, given your growth numbers, you guys are not too early to give this advice. <laughs> you should you you should feel good about about your traction. It's a pretty impressive. <laughs> I guess maybe that's the the main point is um like the advice that you'll hear everywhere: just hire great people. Um, don't compromise because you just need bodies. Um, you just need someone to read this script. It's like hire someone who is going to be, I guess, you know, a list of few qualities, um, matches your culture. So they're ready to hustle with the rest of the team, um, identifies themselves as someone who's product minded. Like they're not just a salesperson because 
you're early on, your product's still changing a lot. They also have to be product minded. They're going to be interfacing with engineering and product quite a bit. Um, so like that, we'll say product minded is, it, is it technical communication, you know, having some of those skills. And then three, like this, this, uh, this quality of being a self-starter, I think is, is critical. Entrepreneurial, um, autonomous, uh, self-starter, you know, a few different ways people describe it. Um, scrappiness, grit. I think what we got right is we luckily hired some excellent folks on our team. And that's, that's what I think we can attribute to our success to so far. Yeah, that's hiring, identifying the right people is amazing. But, you know, another, another thing I would imagine you're, you're pretty competent at is, is sales training, right? Sierra is a sales training app. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about how the app helps train salespeople? Yeah, the, the workflow I was describing earlier where you record, review yourself, hear an expert example, and then, and then role play. Uh, that's the workflow that we encourage in our app. Um, and, and I think that's, in our mind, that's the best way to do sales training. Um, yes, reviewing the funnel numbers is, is good and important, making sure you're hitting adequate top of funnel and you know, if you're too low on, on bottom of funnel, you have to change your behavior. Um, but at, at getting better at the actual conversation piece, which is what we're focused on, um, when you're in the, you know, the black box or in the arena, you know, the actual conversation, how do you get good at that part of the job? Uh, it's reviewing the game film. Record your conversation, listen to it later, get feedback, or if you can, listen to an example of someone doing that thing really well, and then try again. Yeah, so that, that's pretty similar to when I was running sales teams. At the end of the day, everybody would get together. This is back when people were in offices, right? We'd get together and we'd pick a sales call and we'd, we'd play it through and then we'd ask other people for feedback or advice. We'd play back particular sections and role play around them just to try to get it so that you know people could hear a call that maybe went well or went poorly and understand how that they could do it better or how they might react or you know work on particular questions that they could ask to keep the, the conversation moving forward. Um, and on the one hand, it was like really fulfilling and really fun. On the other hand, uh, you know, by you know, like your second year of doing it, it sort of gets to be repetitive as well, right? Because it's like you're, you're kind of, you keep emphasizing the same points because being good at sales is, is this comes down to kind of a handful of things you can, you have to really do really well, right? And so it, I think this sounds like a tremendous app to try to help salespeople improve. Now, is the app for individual salespeople who want to get better or is it for like a corporation that wants to implement this for everybody in their team or who's, who's it for? Zero is for businesses, Business by zero, it might have multiple regions, multiple offices in those regions and, and sales reps in each of the offices. Um, the sales reps use zero and get value in it themselves, frankly, the, the user that we build for. Um, managers then can support their sales teams and, and, and VPs get aggregated analytics to you know, make more strategic decisions. Um, something that you brought up, though, that I think is really important and worth emphasizing is the uh, more social element of it. So yeah, I keep saying this, record, uh, review, hear a great example and try again. Um, but what's really important and what you can do as a sales leader is loop everyone in, give visibility. If you're giving feedback to one person, everyone on the team should hear it. Um, why? Well, one, um, feedback is a gift. And for people to see that you are investing your time to give feedback as a sales leader is motivating. And why let only one person see that when you could, you know, give everyone the gift of being able to see the feedback you're giving this one person, um, as long as it's not too personal. The second element of it is 
it can't all be critical. Um, there's got to be a lot of support. What's the rule? It's like three compliments for every or three positive pieces of feedback for every one negative piece of feedback. And the same thing holds because uh, the biggest challenge that uh, I guess any founder who's putting on the, the sales hat for the first time is going to have is uh, they're not going to want to record themselves. Or brand new sales reps often are just afraid of recording themselves because they're embarrassed. They don't want their peers who they're friends with, buddy buddies with, hear them kind of freeze up in a sales conversation. And if you're just calling that out and berating people uh, and making them feel bad when you're giving them feedback as a sales leader, they're not going to want to record themselves as much. Now, they're going to have these negative associations with this job. Um, it's got to be well, – it should be more positive than negative. So people are encouraged to continue this behavior. And it does feel more like a gift. Um, it's like, oh, crap, like, this is great. If I just record myself, I get this like free personal trainer. Like this, I used to have to pay for a personal trainer, but this person is actually spending their time to help me get better at my job. It's like, that's great. That's, that's how it should feel. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So when, when I was doing it, we would encourage um, the sales folks to bring ones that they wanted to, to go over. And there were certain folks who would always bring like a bad call. And I'm like, well, I want you to bring a good call as well, right? We're not just going to listen to you striking out because I just heard you do 10 calls and this is the one where you struck out and the other ones were pretty bang up. So let's, let's, let's hear one of your good ones as well, because it's not, it's not fair to just have you only get beat down. And the response was, well, I want to get better, but you can even get better on the, on the great calls. And maybe the person sitting next to you could get better because they just heard a great call that you did. Right. So I love, I love the social aspect. And I think sales is a social it's it's a social thing and, and, and teams of salespeople do better when they're motivating each other and learning from each other. So I think that's a really powerful, it's a really powerful feature that, that you've created. That's awesome. So what's next for you guys? You've, you've raised this round, you're, you're growing really well. Like, you know, what, what, what does the future hold? Like what, where, where are you going next? Yeah, there's I mean, very exciting roadmap, particularly with how much the, the tech world has changed and how much AI has advanced in the last year. Um, what was previously our 10-year roadmap is now our roadmap for next year. Amazing. So the, the roadmap is really exciting, but what we're focused on right now is, is hiring and building the, you know, kind of doubling down on our team, as I mentioned before, hiring sales folks. Uh, I'm hiring a chief of staff right now, um, more engineers, uh, another designer, um, some marketing folks, some CSMs. So we're sort of hiring all around, uh, all across the team, and it's a, it's a really exciting time. As, as several mentors of mine have said, Startups are very hard. So when you get the ups, you know you close the round, you close that customer, uh, celebrate it. So Zero is very happy right now. We're celebrating our wins because it's gonna be a hard journey uh, ahead of us, like there is for every company. Well, you're you're on a, an amazing trajectory. Clearly, the the product is is resonating with the market. It, it's it's really impressive. Uh, so so Jake, sounds like you're hiring. Like where can uh, where can people get in touch with you if uh, they want to learn more? Yes, our website Zero.ai. Zero. It's like Siri. But with an O, zero.ai. Uh, we have our job board posted there on the we're hiring section. Um, that's got all of our all of our postings as well as a bit of information about our company, our culture. Um, uh, at a startup, when the team is small, as I said, things are hard. So I encourage anyone who's trying to get a job at a startup to make sure thing fits your. You know, you'd be a culture fit um, when uh, when you're joining larger companies and you, you can. Think a lot about the specific folks you'll be working with, like the team within the big company. But um, at Zero, you'd, you'd be working with everyone. Uh, yeah, you'd be an engineer, but you would be working with everyone. 
so making sure that you meet the you know, kind of like the the criteria that we're filtering for on the website culturally is going to be important for you to be kind of happy working working here. And same with any other startup. Uh, encourage anyone to really uh, index strong for uh, index index hard on the culture fit uh, element. Amazing. That's great advice. Well, Jake, th- thanks for your time. This was an amazing conversation and uh, congratulations again on the success. You guys are doing great. It's amazing. It's really fun to get to work with you. Thank you very much, Julie. I appreciate it.